This episode of Radio Drama Revival is brought to you by our friends at Dashlane, the form-filling, password-remembering, data-protecting, all-in-one application. Will, let's play that jingle. Dashlane, live life in the fast lane. Get yourself some cash lane, and you'll be living easy and free. Your internet experience could be so much better with Dashlane. I can't believe it's not Dashlane. Because it is! Dashlane is the service that remembers your passwords, protects your online data, and fills in your logins automatically. How might one use Dashlane? Well, say you run a podcast with like nine other people and you share login information for the website backend or the Twitter account or the store account or the eight million other things you need to have an email and a password for when you have a podcast. Let's say that's true for you. You could use Dashlane to share those credentials or revoke them at any time. You hear me, Will? Anytime! You can't keep me from posting the peach emoji on our Twitter forever, David, even if Dashlane is secure and foolproof. Yes. Start dashing through the internet and help support the show by visiting www.dashlane.com rdr to start your 30-day free trial of Dashlane. No credit card required. If you like it, use code RDR at checkout to save 10% on your premium subscription. All right, on to the show. This week, what's the opposite of the Clash of the Titans? Like when they're not fighting, but they, they team up like a super group. Like, like the Traveling Wilburys or Fru Fru or the Plastic Ono Band, like that, but for audio drama. Anyway, shut up. I know my references are old. It doesn't matter. I'm cool. And you know who's even cooler? Christopher Reynaga and Fred Greenhalge in conversation with me and Ellie talking about the dark tome, Point Mystic, and the truth embedded in our horror fiction. All of that's coming up right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hey folks, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. Last week, we played you the crossover episode between the horror weird fiction anthology The Dark Tome and the genre-breaking biographical spoopy show Point Mystic. And this week, we got to talk to the creators. Ellie and I tag-teamed this four-person interview, and we had an absolutely marvelous time. You'll hear us talk about the horror of the real and transmuting it into something comprehensible, on the resonant emotional truth and catharsis of telling scary stories, the mind-bending time math that it took to make the crossover episode work, and, very briefly, Christopher Reynaga's Leonard Nimoy impression. It's a great conversation, and I feel privileged to have taken part in it. I hope you enjoy it as much as Ellie and I did. Let's jump right in. Christopher and Fred, welcome to Radio Drama Revival. Hello. Hello. What a, what a surprise to see you around these parts. Uh, this is this is fun to be on this side of the microphone. Or am I on that yeah. side of the microphone? I don't know. <laughs> You've done side. this before. Yeah. It, it has happened. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you both here. Thank you so much. Christopher and Fred, we want to start by asking you the, the story behind the two of you meeting for the first time. Because it's very funny to me that both of your pilot episodes involve Joe Hill. What's the story of your first encounters with each other? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't even remember who reached out to who first. I just, like, I remember hearing uh, the first episode of The Dark Tome and being really impressed and going like, oh, they've got, they've got Joe Hill too. This is incredible. 
Um, and and one of us reached out to the other. Yeah, it was kind of uncanny because it, it. I mean, I would say our the t- episodes of each of our respective shows. I within the week of each other, I would say in 2016. So it was just. Yeah, it was it was it was love at first listen. <laughs> what was that like August 2016? No, it was around October. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah, and I guess to 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 dig into it a little bit more, I mean, I think uh Christopher and I share a somewhat similar gen- uh, sort of origin story in that we both have that kind of literary uh fiction bent mm-hmm. that somehow led us into uh doing it in an audio format versus a short story or or novel format and so kind of um and and then just, of course the sensibilities of 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 you know Joe Hill and and things in the supernatural kind of you know, cosmic horror type space just uh yeah just just there are many wonderful creators and meant much uh, in the supernatural kind of horror space in audio fiction, as we know, but um, our our tastes and sort of our sensibilities, I, I think, were uncannily similar as well. Would you Would you agree, Christopher? Oh, absolutely. I I know that we had like some early phone calls where we kind of raised a beer and just chatted about uh, horror fiction in general. I mean, one of the things that I thought was neat about the Dark Tome as a show was the fact that it's like, oh, they're 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 playing with these same themes of like they're working with uh, actual horror fiction authors and and uh, uh, novelists, short story writers out there. Uh, and I, with Point Mystic, it's the, the the performances are completely naturalistic. And what I think, I, I don't know if you're the, quite the only person doing this, but I found that um, when we sort of talk about your process, Christopher, essentially it sounded like, and, and you know, you can correct me if I get this wrong, but it, you basically like sort of find people on the street and kind of ask them crazy questions and so when they give you a really odd answer that's authentic because they are actually actually answering the question in an authentic way it just happened to be in our real world continuity um and they played along with with the make-believe which i just found fascinating from a process point of view and and utterly convincing from the listener point of view which um you know part, part of the reason why the show resonated with me Oh, thank you very much. Um, there, there's still an aspect of that. I think that was part of the um, one of the original tricks I, I was thinking about doing with Point Mystic, like go out and like actually do like man in the street interviews, like oh, have you ever seen a ghost? Um, but as time went on, um, the like our pretty quickly, I just like when when we started Point Mystic, I had never done audio fiction whatsoever. My my background is definitely in writing short fiction and novels and uh and I'd, I'd publish some short stories but i'd always been really fascinated by audio fiction um massive fan of it when i was younger and and uh especially i know you and i talked about um uh this fred i was a huge fan of zbs yeah uh uh audio um the the ruby the galactic gum show uh jack flanders other shows like that that were done actually back i think mainly in the 19 the 1980s 1990s um before podcasts was a thing Mm -hmm. and they're incredibly complex and rich shows uh and i'd always wanted to do something like that um but i didn't own a radio station (laughs) right so I, i never thought that i would actually get the chance to do anything like that uh, and then when podcasting came around, I was like uh, fascinated with with diving in and actually trying to tell the kind of stories that that I wanted to that I typically told in a novel, um, but 
in a way that you can't to to take that kind of like literary background and 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 write stories for audio. And uh, the thing was is uh, to get back to your point, Fred. Uh, the only people that I knew were other writers, right? I just I just knew other novelists and short fiction writers, <laughs> and 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 these were the only people that I could think of of maybe bringing in as actors on the show. And the worlds they know the best are their own. Um, and so I wanted what I was writing, uh, and 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 actually what uh, my my writing partner as well, Marguerite uh, Croft, who does a lot of the story development and script editing on our show. Um, I wanted to be able to cross the story that we were telling over into those other worlds, which is something that Fred does in the dark tome, right? Like you're, you're doing adaptations of these like really great short stories, um, from these, uh, from, from these great short fiction writers out there, Mm -hmm. uh, and being able to bring that into the audio fiction, the audio drama, I should say, the audio drama medium, um, is is what I wanted to achieve. Since you were talking about this, um, how much of a Point Mystic episode is true? Like, for instance, in this season, uh, Chris Plowden, who plays Tristan, um, we know that he's not a cross-dimensional refugee, but the stories that he tells about living as a Black trans man in America, just, they feel biographically true about the performer. So can you tell us about the way you braid together the scripted content, the improv content, and then also the biographical content together? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's changed over time, but, uh, um, the, I mean, the basic concept is, is a lot of the episodes, I mean, it, at the heart, they're scripted, but, um, whether we're doing an interview with somebody for their world, or we're we're talking about one of our ensemble voice actors. Um, they put it. I mean, the, the the truth is like a tremendous amount of making the show feel like it's actually happening, making it feel real. Um, I made the decision. Uh, Marguerite made the decision uh, early on. Um, whether this is a mistake or not, we're still sort of figuring out of depicting ourselves, right? Like we are, I am Christopher Renaga on the show. She is Marguerite Croft. Um, and, uh, and we're sort of sorting out what that means, but that, that's, that's made the show tremendously autobiographical. And that ended up influencing the way that uh, we dealt with all of the character actors that came on. Because in order to have that really real sounding dialogue, with each other, um, especially since most of my friends have no professional acting experience, um, the trick was to go like, hey, you are presenting yourself here, and we're going to create a fictional version of you, and, and we can use whatever name, um, and and this is the story, this is the situation that we're going to throw you into, and I want you to, but I want you to drag up the, your your real life experience in into the emotion of that. Um, it, which actually, I mean, to, to open this up a little bit, it's really what horror is about. Um, like horror, if, right. No, no, I mean, I've got, I could go on about this for hours. Like horror comes in phases yes. in, 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 in our culture. Uh, and, and, and let me know if you, you like, you know, you, you agree with this, Fred. Mm-hmm. Um, but like horror gets really big when things get difficult in the world. Um, 
and right now we're in a we're in a very difficult part of um, our history. Mm-hmm. I think where things things are looking and they are feeling dire. And when this happens, I mean, the last big horror boom was in the was in the 1980s. Actually, you know, coming out of uh, a, a tremendously difficult you know part of American history, and you know, and then uh, um, you know, uh, it, it, you know, hyperinflation and Reagan took over, and like the Cold War, and we were all going to die by nuclear death, and. All of this stuff was happening, and horror became really big at that time period because it's it's a tremendous, blissful stress relief, and it's it's a stress relief that allows you to survive whatever the difficulty is. Right? It's a morality play. The good guys, uh, you know, the, the you know the, the good gals, the good everybody wins. Um, although maybe at like at some horrible cost um, in in some horror, but that's telling a kind of truth. If, if you're doing it right. Yeah. Um, and so in your example of like uh, Chris Plowden, who plays our character, Tristan, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I said to, I said to Chris, um, can you think of like, you know, like uh, in, in that particular episode story, like these widows, these, these tremendously dark spider-like creatures show up and start destroying the world that Tristan comes from. And Tristan actually is, is one of the only, if not the only person that escapes from that world to Point Mystic and everybody else in it on that version of Earth presumably perishes. It's, it's, it's basically the apocalypse. Uh, and I said, like, is there, is there something that, that, that happened in your history that, that like, you know, that you can draw up emotionally? And Chris said, well, absolutely. I mean, we had the, we had the Las Vegas shootings uh, and, you know, in in all of the, you know, that that was something that like nobody expected that had a tremendous effect on the city. And I said, if you're comfortable, you know, I want you to talk mm-hmm. about that a little bit and I want you to bring that emotion up. Yeah. And then we're going to go to the script uh, and f- feel free to, if you need to, shift things so that you're, 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 you're bringing that to it. Because that's that's really the story that we're telling. We're not telling the story of... Um, spiders coming in destroying the world or, uh, you know, uh, monsters or evil books or anything like that. We're telling the story of whatever, uh, whatever you've gone through in life. That's, that's the truth behind horror. I mean, would, would you say that's true in the, in the stories that, that you've both written and adapted, Fred? Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking, um, I've seen sort of two conversations about horror recently uh one Tananarive Du was on I think the Code Switch podcast and a lot of things she was saying are very similar to what you said Christopher in the sense of like um horror can actually feel empowering because it allows us to sort of take you know in the world systemic racism is a very is a, is a creature you can't like stab to death uh, <laughs> in a gratifying way but you can kind of like bring those things to life as demons and show how you know courage or truth of heart or whatever the characters of the the hero are um can overcome those those things and so there is a, a very therapeutic quality to depicting creatures that are beatable um and actually to think about Tanana Reef specifically, that was one of my favorite uh, stories in season one um, was her story Trial Day because it took sort of the trope of, uh, you know, hoodoo folk magic 
and made that the hero and made society the monster and used what in you know many cultural depictions is used as the ooh the booga booga scary kind of trope and made that actually the 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 saving grace for our uh, lead character Letty, and so um, it's also really gratifying. I mean, and this is part of our story selection was trying to find stories that did, um, you know, subvert genre expectations to some extent, and and did did interesting things in the. Uh, I, I think we in uh, the anomaly dark tome is horror. I think we, we've sort of leaned into the, the phrase weird fiction because they're not um, they're not all strictly horror, but but stories that. They definitely have a darker supernatural fables, um, you know, and some and and some and we've been critiqued for this for somewhere the the the, the good guys don't triumph, um, and that's that's I mean our, our day, you know our first episode came out right after the 2016 elections and there were people it was a little bit too uh, I mean there were people who who said this is a uh, you know this is too political um on the nose and we're like this story was written 10 years ago um it just has emotional truth in the story that mm. uh, unfortunately uh resonates in the world that we're in and 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 the and the other I actually had a chance like 2 weeks ago uh Joe Hill and his and his dad Stephen King were at at Somerville Theater and I got to see them and they and Joe said something kind of similar in the sense of like that horror actually is hopeful because it again it has uh monsters that can be beat uh as opposed to to the world that we're in where where some of these problems do not seem uh quite so tractable so um yeah, I don't know. The, the, the dark home is, is uh, you know, I feel like most of the time good fiction doesn't necessarily, opens up and explores more questions than it answers, though. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. That that episode, that Tanana Reeve Do episode, um, I think is is a really great example. That That's one that deals with uh, uh, racism in America at a particular time head on. Uh, and it's in some ways i think it's easier to tell that story with that that supernatural aspect to it because it it makes it something that like we can concretely kind of hold in our hands and see and see the morality play uh see see a heroic arc in it um you know see things turn out for the best or not but like like actually bring this lesson from it and that even short fiction like that does that truth well, right. Like I'm sure that I'm sure that Tanana Reeve was like pulling from like both familial and personal experience, right? Yeah, yeah. Now that now that you say that she's revealed, I think this is in the short story collection where it appears that it, that is actually from a family story, and um, this is a it's, it's I guess it's a spoiler, but it the 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 true story as it was told to her as the family story is a different outcome than the outcome of the. Uh, short story version of it. So that's um, right on this conversation around truth fiction and how stories can uh, help us, quote, fix reality. (laughs) Um, uh, Has all that in it, yeah. Yeah, um, that's... I just spent a moment, like, sitting here in stunned silence because I loved every single part of everything you just said. Mm Uh, and something that I'm noticing is, of course, that, you know, there's this very natural uh, sort of connection point between Point Mystic and um, the Dark Tome. 
And so we've just uh, we've just featured your uh, the first part of your crossover episode, which is what we're here um, talking to both of you at the same time today. Um, so you mentioned on one of the preludes, Fred, that this collaboration took over a year to complete. So how long have you been planning this crossover? How did this project come to be and what was involved in it? I, I think I can solidly say you put me up to this, Christopher. Yeah, this, is, I, <laughs> this is correct. I, I, <laughs> finger pointing right there. Yes, I, I, I may have, uh, I may have uh, uh, coaxed Fred into this one. Um, uh, I, there's a certain point that, like, like you said, Ellie, like there's a, there's a lot of um, similarities in the way that uh, our shows play with fiction and like I said, I was a big fan of the Dark Tome, and we, we'd already become friends. And I reached out at some point and said, Fred, I would really like to do a crossover episode um, where I basically use the Dark Tome as an object that, that my show investigates. Point Mystic typically will investigate um, uh, various supernatural things. And and, and, and like a lot of people will say, it's like, oh, it's got a it's sort of got an NPR or, or, you know, this American life or journalistic bent. And it kind of does. But like the, the the real inspiration, the point mystic was the, sh- the shows that I loved as a kid, like, like In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy, like those kind of like <laughs> the crystal skull, you know, those, <laughs> <laughs> those very like 1970s, like explorations and the space aliens and, and ghosts and things like that. Um, and, uh, it was like, oh, this is perfect. This is the perfect supernatural artifact. And I, I very graciously said, Fred, uh, would you be interested in doing a crossover episode? And and Fred said, uh, yes. Can you handle the work? <laughs> I can. I can line things up. Um, can 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 you put this together? <laughs> Which is exactly what I would have would have said and have actually said to people who've reached out and want to. Um, collaborate with me because Lord knows, like when you've got a production schedule in front of you, uh, you don't you don't really have time for anything else. Yeah. Uh, so I, I feel really honored and privileged that like Fred took a you know really a tremendous amount of time, um, both planning and just sort of chatting and brainstorming. Uh, I know we did several phone calls. Um, he shared with me uh, his story bible. Uh, and some early notes on like ideas of things that had never made it into the dark tome, just sort of a um, what what was uh, I think it was uh, Fred. I think you called it the curious history of the dark tome. Yeah, and yeah. Um, um, and and I ended up I ended up being inspired, and I took that name for this episode. It's like because that's really what this uh, this was an exploration of, and um, I put way too much time into it as I tend to in, into projects. I like studied his entire show's timeline. I wanted to make sure that I was not going to contradict anything that was canon. This is the thing that messed with me. <laughs> um, is So something that, that Point Mystic always does that, that screws with me is its level of like kayfabe, right? Like the degree to which it deadpans about being a very real podcast with a very real like broadcast history. So in The Curious History of the Dark Tome, when the host Christopher character, this person who is ostensibly a distinct character from you, says that what we're listening to is a rebroadcast from three years ago, I got really befuddled and confused because I'm like, this just came out. It's new. But in order to make sense chronologically within the world of the Dark Tome, such that um, Mr. Carter 
can show can play the little snippet of Point Mystic to Cassie in episode five of season two, it had to have taken place in the past. It just really that really screwed with me. We, we've we've <laughs> we've we've jumped sideways. Shit. <laughs> can you can you tell me about some of the like time knots you had to tie yourself in to make this make this work? Did I did I get like the math the time math approximately right? I I'm very impressed. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think you have. How much of how much of the crossover episode was complete when it was excerpted in episode five? Was it just that snippet, or was it? It was just that snippet. Yeah. But we, we mm-hmm. did okay. Uh, we did have we did have the outline. I mean, we knew kind of where it was headed, so we knew that there's a good chance that line was going to appear in the final thing. Yeah, and I think I think Freddie actually I think you wrote that line, um, or we collaborated on it together. I don't I don't remember at this point, but but that was yeah. the only piece of audio that existed at that point. Um, the thing was, is I, I I studied the dark tomes history, and what I was searching for was a safe place where. I could tell a piece of the Dark Tomes history and not mess up Fred's storyline in any ways, especially since we didn't know exactly when we would be airing this. We planned to air it before, uh, and and then um, uh, uh, we, we we planned this before. I think see, uh, season two, Fred, you you made a deal to to put this on uh, Stitcher Premium and have it actually go behind a wall. Yeah, and at that point, it was like. Oh, well, we can we can we can actually hold off on this. I can I can continue to develop it, uh, and then we can drop it when um, the season two feed comes live again. The neat thing about that was, is Fred had this really cool idea, was which is instead of just doing this as an episode, what if we do this as an updated story? Right? You know, it's like where we're, you know, it's like you know we are we did air this three years ago, but now there's new evidence that the dark tomes <laughs> may still exist. Um, and that allowed me to basically take something which was essentially really a prequel to Fred's show, um, because it tells the story of kind of where the Dark Tome came from more recently before it gets into the hands of his main characters. And it allowed it to bookend it so that it's, it's, it tells the story before the beginning and it tells, and it completes the story right at the end. Because of course, um, without spoiling anything, uh, Dark Tome season two, um, ends on a very dramatic note with like lots of death and destruction. So just a slightly dramatic note. <laughs> just, just a tad. And to really have the serpent eat its own tail, um, the outcome of that is going to inform Dark Tome season three in a meaningful way that will become clear much, much later from now. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, oh, yeah. I'm so impressed by the level to which you have like blended this crossover into the story. I'm so used to crossovers being side notes or extras or um, kind of out of not out of canon necessarily, but a little the feel feeling a little bit out of universe. That this is just a really impressive work. Thank, Thank you. you. I mean, um, that's it. That's all I've got. That's the it's question. not a question. That's the tweet. <laughs> I don't know if you feel the same way, Christopher, but again, you looking at like someone like, um, if we could be so bold as to sort of uh, lend our appreciation to Joe Hill and Stephen King and how they connect their worlds together, like there's definitely references to like, you know, the stand is connected to stuff in Joe Hill's works and, um, you know, characters kind of come and go from the Stephen King multiverse sort of world. So for me, 
as soon as you planted this idea in my head, I was like, doing this is exactly what we're doing. Like the dark tome is essentially a show about how there are multiple dimensions. So we absolutely in the dark tome universe live in a universe where point mystic is completely real. And isn't it fun to, you know, build out that tunnel and see what weird creatures live in that tunnel between these two worlds. I've been thinking about that a lot because this was the year that I made a project of reading the entire Dark Tower series. Like I started last October Uh and I finished in like sometime early this summer of just reading all nine of the books and just plowing through them. Very brave of you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Those are fabulous books. Um, And so I finally see all the like Stephen King references that Mainers are forever making. (laughs) Um, and, And I wanted to talk about like the mythos of, of Dark Tome. Um, and, and about like the influences on it, right? So there's a lot of King, right? And, and I, I, there's some Lovecraft explicitly. So in the floodgates of Willow Hill, is that, is that where Ricci came from initially? Is that where the dark tome came from initially? What's the story there? We, there was nothing dark tome about that original short story, but it, it just sort of happened. I mean, if you really want to know the story, we, uh, had gotten ourselves in, so deep we didn't have another episode to do and at that point in time our it was like kind of a, a, where the peak of our feed was because we had we had a, 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 we were blessed with a really nice launch we had we were doing well we had people who were going crazy because we weren't putting episodes out fast <laughs> enough and i could yeah production wise like oh we need it we need we need a story and then like um you know my co-conspirator on dark tome bill defreeze is like oh we have this script about floodgates of willow hill i was like oh this fits dark tome really well let's make it tie into dark tome and then it opened up a gate as it were to all all this interconnection so I, i guess it was a happy accident in that way but like we took yeah like a very minor reference to the dark tome in that story and like just kind of really pulled in that thread and, and until it turned into this huge tapestry of craziness. That's very cool. Yeah. You want to hear a crazy story about how the, the earth, the world is stranger than fiction? Yes, absolutely. Oh, so as a, as a Mainer, um, I, you know, you do kind of grow up with Stephen King in, in the, in the water as it yeah. were. And the bookshop, Mr. Gussie's bookshop is, you know, there's a lot of biographical stuff in Cassie's story that is uh, autobiographical in a way of of a uh, certain part of parts of my life, and um, that bookshop, it you know, was based on a real bookshop. Um, I lived there's a point in time where my mom was kind of adrift, and we lived above a baseball card shop uh, in Old Town, Maine, on Main Street, and yeah, and it was a weird time. Um, going through divorce and all, moving around a lot, and I did go to this bookshop a lot, and had a cantankerous old bookkeeper and the big stacks of Stephen King books and yada yada yada. So that book, that bookshop um, existed, and <laughs> that block um, actually caught on fire this past year and torched. Uh, just as depicted in the story, I swear it had nothing to do with it, but it actually, <laughs> oh my god, actually that block burned, and I was like. Oh God! What have I done by burning something in my mind's mind palace, and now the real world is is falling apart? So I don't know. Um, I'm sure it probably actually had something to do with bad fire codes, but um, <laughs> that did actually factually happen. And you'll be hearing more about that fire in the next episode of Point Mystic. So. <laughs> I remember that. David is. <laughs> well, that's a wonderful lead-in for our next question. So, um, what is it about? 
cosmic horror that messes with you the most. Because a lot of the stuff that messes with me about cosmic horror is often uh, how it's grounded, um, how its roots can be found in very real things in our world. And depending on who we're talking about, very racist ones. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Lovecraft. Um, So what is it about cosmic horror? Why don't you take this one first, Fred? Well, you know, if I'm going to confess, I've actually not really read the works of Lovecraft. I'm on, um, I've read so many people who have been uh, affected and and influenced. So I sort of am like two, you know, steps removed from the sort of original source. And uh, to some extent, I like the little horrors. I would say like, again, like going back, like my real roots are like the Stephen King type horror, which is less cosmic and more like, uh, I think I recently heard it described really well in the sense of like, uh, you know, ordinary, you know, we know that we're in a dangerous situation, dangerous things happen, but we're in an ordinary situation and dangerous things happen. That's what kind of makes it horror. So a lot of my sensibilities are around that. Um, and then somehow, I guess, yeah, I guess, the, I guess the, despite even, you know, kind of avoiding his works in a way, like the sort of Lovecraftian the tentacles <laughs> creep creep into you, and I guess like because like one of my favorite podcasts is the fiction show The Drabblecast, which I guess you know you you can't help because they have like a, a Lovecraft inspired month like every year, and um and and of course like one of my favorite uh books is like Lovecraft Country by Matt mm-hmm. Ruff, which is a wonderful response um, so good. to that, and Victor Laval's um, Ballad of Black Tom is a really nice uh depiction of that, but it's yeah it, it's sort of like the just the great unyielding we just do not give a bleep of the universe towards towards humans and we're just these little gnats in a otherwise uncaring universe that is i think humans do have this like gigantic fat ego zit on their heads <laughs> and the sense that, that actually we're just dust in infinite ether with forces that really don't care about us personally is a is a horrifying thought if you care about ego so i guess that's what's terrifying no you took the words out of my mouth there i i I also did not really grow up loving or, or reading lovecraft um uh but i have been influenced by people who have been influenced by him uh including king and others um I, I he really is the background radiation of so much horror, <laughs> isn't he? It kind of is. That's like a very good description. It, uh, um, I, I don't want to say a love hate relationship with cosmic horror because I, I, I uh, you know, other than obviously, um, some, uh, uh, I mean, I think H.P. Lovecraft was just a terrible person, just a uh, piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, and you should um, say it. <laughs> Yeah, that that faceless thing. In some ways, I I I'm reminded even more of like um, um, uh, a different author, uh, uh, Tolkien, who who mm-hmm. talked about how his work, a tremendous amount of his work was influenced. And I think a lot of authors around that era were influenced by like the horrors of the world wars mm-hmm. uh, and trench warfare and things like that, where. Um, you, it was like a cosmic horror. Like the whether you lived or died um, was so out of your control, and um, and and had very little to do in in a lot of those theaters with your ability to prevail and be a hero or anything like that. It was very random, um, and that that is that is a terrifying thing. I uh, 
what I often um, don't like about uh, that kind of horror uh, um, is when things get too existential. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where it's just like, you know, oh, life is completely bleak. And, and, and then at that point, it's sort of like, it's not, you know, it, it, it's not just removed from ego. It's also like the characters don't matter all that much to me. The, the characters are tremendously integral. And, and I think personally, I like, I think good horror will have those characters once again, in a morality play prevail in some kind of way. Um, so I, I, I like, I like having things that like are are like Cthulhu that don't care about you, but you know, there may be some way out of the situation. Unless it's a short story and then everybody can die. I mean that's well, and, and this is <laughs> you can you, I, you can get away with that kind of horror there. I'm completely happy with that. Um but when you get to when you get to long form horror yeah. um of any kind, you you really want to care very much about your characters and you really want to care about how everything uh, ends up or you're not going to care when the characters start getting hurt or, you know, or killed or anything like that. Uh, so I, I'm, I think I'm a little more in the, uh, the, the, the descendants of Lovecraft than just the pure, like, Oh, everybody dies. So, um, since this, with the talk about characters, um, both, the Dark Tome and Point Mystic involve the journeys of children and young adults in scary situations. What's the importance of this in presenting the viewpoint and experiences of children in horror or horror tangential settings? Oh, I'm gonna have to wrap my head around that. Um, <laughs> there's there's the uh, there's the intelligent academic answer, and then there's the gut answer. The gu- the gut answer gut is gut answer. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, the gut answer is, is those are the stories that fascinate me. Mm-hmm. Um, and those, I think in some ways, I mean, like my, my love of horror comes from all the way back when I was young and, uh, you know, at a certain age, actually being terrified that those monsters were real and wanting to, um, be safe from them. And, um, and I think, you know, I remember there was this this, this book that came out. Um, I'm not quite sure when, like the late '90s, early 2000s, uh, which was like uh, everything everything I learned, I, I, I learned in kindergarten or something hmm. like that. Sure. Um, and I, <laughs> it was so true. Like I became an adult, and I'm like, oh my god, all these people that are adulting around me, they're still in kindergarten. <laughs> they're <laughs> they're still not sharing their toys, and they're still you know, like in those moments when when the lights are out and suddenly we're afraid, like we, 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 we're still those kids that we were back then sometimes faced with insurmountable things and not always making the right choices. And, uh, and, um, so that, that's, that's part of it. But also I remember as a kid, um, having a kind of, um, a bravery and like a belief in the rightness of how things you know the universe, how things could turn out. Um, the the from the stories that I'd I'd learned growing up, and that you know there's um there's 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 an episode of of uh, um, Point Mystic where um, Marguerite actually asks one of the townspeople who who has a child, and you know it, it, they're asking it's like why why the kids like why are the kids the ones that are fighting this great evil the the voice actress said um well it's it's because the kids are pure 
right? Like they, they, they still believe that like goodness can overcome and, and they believe in the demons and they believe, they believe in the darkness, but they also believe that they can overcome that darkness. Um, and, and I think a lot of old adults forget that. Uh, and that's, that's a part of what makes that kind of storytelling fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my take on that is just to identify with the main character, Cassie, like I alluded to, it is a, you know, there's a lot of autobiographical components and, and kind of what makes Cassie a character. And so to really uh, try to be true to that character uh, forced her to be a certain age because, you know, thematically, you know, Dark Tome, if it is about anything, it's about kind of the power of storytelling. So within each story, because there are, you know, you know, beautiful little dark fables, most of them, there is maybe a lesson in each episode or, or you know, an outcome in each episode. But the, you know, the larger kind of construction of the frame story over the two seasons is, um, you know, the power of, of stories to help you grow and help you transform and help you deal with your environment. And, um, and that was just, that was just me. And this is a theme in my next upcoming work of Fae and Fiends, where in this case, it's the realm of Fae and, and true fantasy, but essentially how um, the fantastic can help us uh, deal with when the real is not so good to us. So um I'm, I mean that's also true as a, as as grown ups because as a grown up I I'm using fantasy to help me stay sane in this crazy world of ours. Um, but the, the characters, I think you're seeing me uh, sort of explore how I became a storyteller when you see younger characters in in my work. That throwaway reference, y'all, to the the next work that Fred is producing. I've read the script; it's really good. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Watch out for brain worms. I had a question that occurred to me as y'all were answering. So both of you are parents, uh, and I wanted to know if, Fred, your your children are still pretty young. Um, and Christopher, your your child is what, now 13, 14? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, our, young, our youngest is 14. We've actually got an older child who's uh, about to go into college. So when, you're, when your kids were younger, and Fred, this is maybe more, more recent or even current for you now, did you have anti-monster rituals that you deployed for your children before they went to bed? Um, no, though a trick that the uh, – oh, gosh, I'm going to get it wrong – um, from the pediatrician is to help them ima- when they wake up from a nightmare, help them imagine turning the nightmare into a silly thing. So it's like, I'm, uh, my, I don't know. Yeah. Monster is like trying to eat me. Well, actually the monster is made of jelly beans or something. Oh, it's like casting ridiculous on a poltergeist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On a boggart. It's an anti-boggart spell. <laughs> um, I have this very particular memory of my dad, like erecting an anti-monster matrix. Like he would do all these like little bleepy bloopy computer noises and pretend like he was setting up like a laser mm. around my bed that would protect me from monsters. I was just wondering if that's a thing that happened in other people's childhoods or in their parenting practices. You do. You know what, David? So I had an older brother who really deeply traumatized me and like, just like that's a whole other interview. But, um, 
yeah, one of the one of the various things uh, was making me watch like horror movies way too early, oh, and so no. I definitely there's a phase no. I watched like yeah, I think probably Aliens when I was way too young. And I would have these dreams of like the creature coming at to me, and then like the the the, the thing coming out of us all, <laughs> and like waking oh. up like ah. Um, and my mother brought me to um, a, a Native American kind of uh, spiritual type person who gave me a dream pillow, which I still have and gave to my daughter, which at the time, you know, just was, you know, it's just a really pretty design and, and some herbs and stuff in it. But the idea was that this dream pillow underneath your pillow would, would protect you. And I, Aww. I mean, I have, I still have that and that's 30 years um, and I've bequeathed it to my child and I'm not sure it keeps away demons, but it's survived this long. So it hasn't, I haven't been eaten by a demon yet. So, you know, so far a hundred percent on that. So, so yeah, monster forts are important. Sounds like something a demon would In my case, like Fox never seemed to need that. Um, uh, and, and I'll, I'll tell you a secret here. I mean, even though he's a character on a, on a sort of a, a mystical, wondrous horror podcast he's much more of like a comedian <laughs> like he, he he loves fantasy stories and and, and, he, and he likes he likes dark stories but like scary stuff like gets to him so he just kind nice. of stays like he just self uh um, um decides like no i'm not gonna watch this no i'm not gonna read this um and so it was never much of an issue I, on the other hand, loved horror, and I scared the hell out of myself as a kid, and I had a lot of nightmares. <laughs> and I, my parents didn't have a ritual for me, but I had a ritual myself. Originally, it was I would take lots of my stuffed animals, and I would, like, build a wall around me. Um, mm -hmm. But that didn't keep away the nightmares. Um, and there's this really interesting thing that I did as a kid that, like, changed it all of a sudden. Um, I was having these reoccurring nightmares. And then one night, like kind of like, you know, fearing going to sleep, I made a decision. And the decision was the monsters are my friends. Mm. All all of all of the horrible monsters in, in my nightmares are my friends. And so they're not going to hurt me. And from that night on, I never had another nightmare again. Um, I mean, occasionally I would like, as an adult, they kind of would pop in here and there um, in a much more kind of like adult nightmare kind of way. Uh, but uh, as, as a child, those, 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 those creatures or aliens or like dark cloaked figures or, you know, would reach out and grab you. Yeah, they were my friends after that. That's an excellent name for a podcast. Listen, I'm pretty sure someone's going to <laughs> yell at you <laughs> if you start another podcast. <laughs> On a podcast. <laughs> Someone will. It's us. It is us. <laughs> <laughs> it's us. <laughs> so you've both worked with other authors, right? We've talked about Joe Hill. We've talked about Tavana Reedu, uh, and Nalo Hopkinson and Maggie Stiefvater. And using the work of these other authors functions doubly. First is a, a really great way to expose those writers to new audiences, but also to bring existing fans of those writers into the podcast. And so first, a practical question for you both. How have you gone about getting these guest writers on board? What's that process like? Uh, it, for me, it's, I've, <laughs> I've just, it, it's, it's actually been lucky. I'll just go to a reading, typically. There's no, there's no foresight to it. It's like, oh, Joe Hill's in town. Uh, uh, Maggie Steve Otter has come. Um, and then basically going to the reading and then afterwards sitting down and, and describing the concept of the show and saying, could I have 30 minutes of your time to interview you as if you were a character in your own world 
And every single time they're like, I am game. Let's do this. I feel like that's catnip for authors, like, right? (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, Dark Tone was a little more complicated in the sense that it's actually a derivative work based on a short story. So we need uh, the dramatized rights for various stories, um, which... Um, my experience is also very similar to Christopher's in the sense that like writers are awesome people and uh, love seeing their work. People do cool, creative stuff with their work. Um, occasionally, there have been some complications where like a work is part of a work that you know there's some sort of TV film thing which makes it impossible to turn into an audio drama, which is a bummer. Um, and then sometimes you need to. Ex- but yeah, I mean, what's nice about these short stories is that they're um, they're not often like, yeah, like d- doing novels as audio dramas is quite a bit more challenging because the way the rights are done. Most of the time, these authors actually retain the rights to their short stories. So it's as easy as if the, if the author is inclined to say yes, it's just a matter of kind of like coming up with the paperwork. So it's it's not, it's not, and then the world of like coming up with a, 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 a contract, it's fairly simple and the act, writers are game and they've all been tremendous fun to work with and yeah, I mean, this is one of the pieces of advice I did get. Um, so Brian Price, who worked with Scott Hickey in the series The Grist Mill, um, which was, I, I would say, they, you know, I think they, their last show was like maybe 2009 or so, and they were kind of a bunch of shows in the mid-2000s era that were based on... This is the God of the Razor people, right? Yeah, and that was and that's how I ever, you know, encountered Joe R. Lansdale the first time, and then they did a... a, a piece by you know Mort Castle piece if you take my hand my son that was really nice and um gosh I forget who but, you know but some, some of them that were you know I think essentially what happened is that they yeah Scott got the idea in his head to go to like horror con and just walk around asking writers if they was if he could do something their short stories and most of them said yes and what Brian said to me is that you know writers love this because I think writers have a real soft uh, the way he described it to me is that writers have a soft spot in their heart for short stories. Short stories are hard to sell as as a as an economic medium. You know, publishers are looking for series and even long, you know multi series books and stuff. And and short stories are something that are beloved by writers, but not beloved by kind of the publishing market. So for you to come and say, I want to just like you know do a love poem to your short story. Are you game? They're yeah, they're usually they usually say yay, absolutely. Yeah. I'm I'm curious about something, Fred. Um, uh, David, you mentioned, and this was totally an idea um, early on in the concept of the show, like the idea that like you would have the story of somebody, a novel or a short short story by you know a, a fairly famous writer, and that would bring their fans to you. Uh, and I actually very quickly discovered that like when we would do those collaborative episodes where we would do an investigation into somebody else's world. Um, interestingly enough, the Point Mystic fan base would go like, oh, well, that was a good episode. But the next episode where we actually get into the story of the people in the town and all that kind of stuff, um, the main storyline, um, that's real. most of the enthusiasm went. And so very quickly, I went from an early concept of like, well, maybe about half of these will like cross over into other authors' worlds to like, we only do one or two of those per season now. Um, it's still important to me. Like I still love doing it, but like they're, 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 they're like, they're, they're fun. They're, they're almost bonus in a way. Um, did you, did you, in your experience with the dark tome or even any other show that you've worked on find that you were able to like sort of pull 
some of the audience of the, the the people that liked that author and actually retain them? I mean, I'm not sure, honestly, that that ever really did work out um, in quite that way. I mean, one of the coolest moments, though, was when um, uh, Roshni Chakshi's story, The Vishkania's Choice, uh, we debuted our version of the Dark Tome like the same week that it was on LeVar Burton Reads, and I was like, "Yes! If I'm going to be scooped by anyone, yeah, like I, that's, <laughs> nice. a, that's I was like, I, nice. that is, I, I, I'm honored that we both thought this was a delightful story because it's delightful." Let's uh, let's talk about um, going sideways, right? This is a, a, a theme throughout the Dark Tome, um, something explored in Tristan's story. Um, fleeing the widows through a door. In the Dark Tome, every time Cassie reads a story, she emerges into a different universe that's usually in some way worse. Going sideways destroyed uh, Mr. Gussie's family. What does going sideways mean to you? What does it mean that there are multiple parallel existences? Interesting. I mean, to some extent, that going sideways is, is sort of like the... Um, you know, like there's that classic Ray Bradbury, I'm sure others have played around with the idea where he, it's like a time travel story and they go back in time to like hunt a Tyrannosaurus Rex and then a butterfly dies and, and, you know, comes back and, and the world is very different. Um, so kind of that chaos theory kind of concept. So I think, I guess, I guess, and this is what makes it cosmic horror versus some kind of other thing is that like a random mutation doesn't lead to really getting more superpowers. The random mutation leads to a, a poorer outcome. And I guess that's what kind of makes it a horror story versus a, another kind of story. Um, Cause there's also a, a version where like you go through the random mix it up thing and, it, and things get better. In this case, it's sort of like, it's, it's, yeah, that's, that's what makes it the horror is that, uh, you know, Cass, Cassie is, is is tinkering with forces that are, um, you know, it, it, the element of chaos is is, is it attracts more chaos to itself. So I don't know if I can say what it means. It's just it just that's just to me what's true to how the, the dark tomes nature, and it's something that happens to Cassie, and she has to figure it out. I think. Uh, well, I mean, I think it's that becomes baked in when you when you have any story where you can open up doorways to literally like every other um, world, including, including worlds that, that seem to be fictional worlds to mm-hmm. us. Uh, you're going to, you're, you're going to have um, different variations on like America, you know, destroyed by giant spiders or uh, an America where, uh, I don't know, Trump wasn't elected. I... <laughs> Everybody here thought it. Don't worry. Darkest timeline. <laughs> darkest timeline. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just have to like a just just me standing on top of like the <laughs> building with like a little like tin can satellite like receiver. Like take me with you. No, but I mean like um, just even being able to open a door to to another world that's somewhat like ours. Like it it gives us the ability to explore what if things were uh, different. And and quite often in our show, it's like what if things were. Uh, darker um you know what if what if things have have gone further down the path that maybe we want to avoid whether um those things are like like fred's like ecological disaster um political disaster uh, you know or just um monsters eating everyone uh but at the end of the day like the monster is never really a you know a, an evil clown or you know a, a giant spider it's it's the things that we're actually like 
facing in our real lives that we don't talk about and we don't want to talk about. Um, but when we when we have that in a fictional story, we can we can like it becomes a catharsis. We can deal with it emotionally somehow. Um, so, so that's it for questions, unless there's other things that, that have bubbled up in the consciousness. Yes. I mean, I think, I think the only thing I want to say is, um, uh, I mean, do you Fred is, is like this collaboration was a lot of fun and it was an honor to get to play with like a piece of your world and turn that around as an episode. And then like completely unexpectedly gratifying for that to actually go like, oh my goodness, this is actually helping inspire the next chapter of the Dark Tome. It actually has an influence on the world of your show. So that's, that's, it's been a real pleasure. Well, uh, mutually the same, Christopher. And, you know, I think this is why I love audio fiction is that, uh, well, you know, you hear from a lot of writers that it can be a really kind of lonely craft where it's like clack, 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 clack you know, keyboard, keyboard, keyboard. And that's, that's the lifestyle. And, um, what I've always loved and about this art form is the, the collaborative nature of it. And I haven't really had that. I've had that from an, you know, actor point of view where you have words that you've written and you hear how an actor brings it to life and you're like, Ooh, that's neat. I didn't see that character choice, but you saw something in the text that I didn't. And I love it. Um, and sound designers have done that for me and composers, but this is the first time I sort of had, you know, kind of got to do that with another writer and it, it was completely addictive. I mean, I think the collaboration, uh, not just on this episode, but in, in general, in the audio drama community, I mean, that's part of what attracted me to it. Um, I mean, even, even putting out Point Mystic as a podcast is really been more about like creating a community because this really is a lonely art to be any kind of artist i think uh i did would you all agree with that sure like i think stephen king said in in his on writing book he said like you know like writing a novel is like crossing the atlantic in a bathtub and it's it's very easy to like you say like get lost in the, the the click clack of the keys and you're on your own but like this is a medium where we can like really play with each other uh in a way that no other medium allows you to yeah. and 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 it's the attitude is and remains like you know this is not a zero-sum game like the the more that there is the better that this is uh so like we can all celebrate each other's successes and and you know when you see something else that someone else did that you're like wow that was amazing you're not gonna feel jealousy you're gonna feel like well i should do amazingness too because the world needs more amazing period absolutely Folks, thank you so much for joining us today. <laughs> it's been incredible. Thank you so much. It was so wonderful to, to have you on and listen to all of your wonderful thoughts. Thank you for bringing us on. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. If you want to support the work being done by Christopher Reynaga and Marguerite Croft, hit up their Patreon at patreon.com slash October Isle. That's I-S-L-E. If you want to listen to more of Fred's work, head to finalrune.com. Did you know that we have a Patreon? We do! You can be a patron like Jay, or Jahel, or Katie, or Michelle. Head to patreon.com slash radiodramarevival and join them! Did you know that we also have a web store? We really, really do! And if you love the logo for our podcast, you can wear it on your body! Our designer, Dave Brunel Brutman, who is also my very best friend, works as a t-shirt designer. That's his day job. 
and he made a really elegant series of modifications to the show's logo such that it works on any color of shirt. Check out the store, you'll see. That's radiodramarevival.com slash shop. And now, let me throw it over to Will Williams, our wonderful line producer, for this week's Moment of Will. Thanks, David. So, listener, if you like spooky things, things that have to do with islands, and things that take the real and turn them into something surreal, I would love to recommend the game What Remains of Edith Finch. This is an indie game made by the developers of Dear Esther, which I also really love. It is the story of a woman going back to her family house where she grew up and going through the strange secrets her family kept throughout the decades. It has a slow pace until it doesn't. It asks a lot of questions that it doesn't always answer. It's scary, and it's also not. But what it is, is beautiful. And I think that if you enjoyed these listens for these last two weeks, you're really going to enjoy this game. And hey, listener, it's spooky how great you are. Kate, love you. Bye. (laughs) Thank you, Will. And now let us sound the traditional end of episode gong followed by the traditional twice-a-year unsealing of the nightmare chasm where we keep our enemies. And let's seal that bastard back up. See you on St. Patrick's Day, fuckos. Oh, it's nice that they get some air. The sounds of that gong and of that nightmare chasm tell me it's time for the credits. This podcast is recorded in Washington, D.C., which is the unceded territory of the Piscataway Indian Nation, the Piscataway Kanoi Tribe, the Pamunkey People, and the Nanticoke People. If you live in the Americas, Australia, or New Zealand, you can learn more about the native, First Nations, and indigenous heritage of your area by visiting whose.land. Our theme music is Danger Diggy Doo by DJ Stranger Danger. You can find his music on SoundCloud. Our line producer and associate interviews producer is Will Williams. Our senior interviews producer is Eli McElveen. Our associate producer is Sean Howard. Our researcher is Heather Cohen. Our social media manager is Ann Baird. Our submissions editors are Elena Fernandez-Collins and Rashika Rao. Our executive producer is Fred Greenhouch. I'm your host, David Reinstrom, and this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome.